Thanks for listening to the City Collective Podcast. We hope that this message from Pastor Jason Charles and the City Collective team challenges and inspires you. Enjoy. We are in the middle of a series called The Throwdown in the Torah. And, and if this is your first Sunday with us, we're, we're walking through the journey of Jacob asking the question, what does it mean to wrestle with God? And we are finally at the passage of Scripture, which is the namesake of this series, where we see Jacob and God come to this climactic moment where the wrestling begins. So it, it, seems, uh, it seems appropriate that Manny Pacquiao was doing his his deal yesterday zero boxing fans in the house all right it's okay it's a dying sport anyways hitting each other in the head doesn't make a lot of sense i get it i get it <laughs> but uh all of the nation of the philippines is celebrating this morning and so we can celebrate with them in in spirit nothing okay all right so we are finally at that climactic moment the namesake of this series uh we are getting the opportunity to see a life from the very beginning that seems to be on a certain trajectory. Good things have happened. Bad things have happened. Wins, losses, good decisions, bad decisions. And yet we get to this moment where God comes down into the very dust, into the very midst of this moment with Jacob and says, I will be with you however long it takes. So, uh, we're going to read the scripture together. We're going into Genesis chapter 32. Genesis chapter 32, reading in verse 22. So you can follow along on the big screen in the sky. And it says this. It says, the same night he arose, that's Jacob, and he took his two wives and his two female servants, it was a complicated family situation, and his 11 children, really complicated family situation, and he crossed the ford of the Jabbok. And he took them and he sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And Jacob said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that the story of Jacob is one that we can resonate with. That it takes us by the hand and shows us that you are in the midst of it all. I pray that this morning our hearts are open and ready to receive the revelation of your love and your grace and how in the midst of our journey, you come down and you decide and you choose and you invite us to wrestle. We're so grateful that in all of these things, you are present. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's, let's play a, a little bit of a game. Let's... Uh, we all have associations with words. When I, say, uh, when I say summer, hopefully you think sun. When I say fall, you might think leaves on trees. When I say winter, if you're from Calgary, you think snow and lots of it. If you're from BC, you're probably talking about rain and nonstop. When we first moved out to BC and we started to have conversations with people and they were feeling bad for us about the snow, but they're like, what about the rain in Vancouver? And we're like, that's 
perfectly all right with us. We barely noticed, but they're like, this is the most rain that we've ever had in the history of all of our Novembers. And we're like, but there was no snow. <laughs> I didn't have to I shovel my driveway or scrape the, my windshield in the morning. So I am A-okay with that. But we all have these word associations with different seasons, different ideas, different moments. Uh, and they all seem to drive the way we interact with them. So, like, for example, if I say winter, for someone in Calgary, you think snow. Someone in BC, you might think rain. What you would do to prepare around that word would be dramatically different. I don't think that's groundbreaking. I think that's just how it works. So we have all of the associations with words and with the, how they impact our lives and how they lead us to act in situations moving forward. And this, this also works with our identity. When you know somebody in a certain space, you associate certain things with their identity. When, when I was growing up, I had a wide variety of spaces that I was present in. You have your school space, you have your church space, you have your basketball space, your friend group that's outside of church space, you have your space at home, and in every single space, the word that would maybe be associated with you would be a little bit different. Is that fair to say? How people would perceive you and how would people would, might know you would be a little bit different in every space. Perhaps uh, you're known as the baller when you show up to the basketball court. Maybe you're known as the good kid at church and you're known as a, a decent student when you go to school. But when you're with your buddies, you're the one who's cracking the, the crude jokes. I'm not saying that happened, but that might be what people think. So you have different associations with different situations and different people in those moments. I know for myself, whenever I seem to have uh, a party or a birthday or something going on and I had those different friend groups converge, there was a, there was a sense of... Uh, discomfort with that. How, how is this friend group going to interact with this friend? Are they going to tell people about this story that I don't really want them to know about? Are they going to tell people about this idea? How are they going to refer to me? I've, I've had situations where I've had sports friends and church friends come together, and everybody who's played basketball with me calls me Jay, and then ev nobody has ever called me that in a church environment. <laughs> And then everyone's like, is that okay? Can I call him Jay? Is that okay? Why, does that, why are they allowed to call him Jay? I'm so confused. Who is he really? And we have the way that we associate with people, differentiate with different environments, and, and the words and the meanings behind the situations we're in. And so it's fascinating to me that when we get to this moment, where, where Jacob is finally wrestling with God. Ding, ding, ding. You've got Jacob in one corner. You've got this angel that you think is just like this man in another corner, but it turns out to be God in the other, and, and they engage and they wrestle and they do so for an extended period of time. And then finally, you can say all the fight is not all that fair because just a touch of a finger to a hip joint requires a chiropractor. And... God asks, well, what is your name? And I think the associations that you place with yourself, with your name, are powerful when you think about the life that you live. When someone says your name, what do you think about yourself? Who do you know yourself to be? How honest are you about what that name actually conjures within you about the identity that you have. 
At the beginning of chapter 32, we find Jacob, who's just been forgiven by his uncle Laban, and, and he's been able to move on, and it seems like life is getting a little bit better, and then themes, uh, things seem to be looking on the up and up, but on his way, Jacob gets news that his brother Esau, the one that he had run from, the one that he had betrayed, the one that he had stolen from, the one that had sworn 20 years prior was going to kill him, is making his way towards him. Things are not looking as good as he once thought. The brother he had betrayed, the brother he had run from was coming for him. But how many of you know that before Jacob can go back home, he has to deal with Esau? And that's true for, for all of us. If we don't deal with our past, our past will haunt us. All of us in this room, before we can step into our future, actually have to handle our past. Burying it, ignoring it, pretending it never happened is actually going to do nothing but give it power for the future that you're walking into. I believe this morning that there are people in this room that there are situations in your past that have been buried, that have been ignored, that, have been tr that you are pretending as if never happened. And you're saying, it does not impact my life at all, but the minute it is brought up, a minute a word is spoken, a minute an idea that is associated with that past experience is brought to life, you feel everything within you start to crumble. I believe that we serve a God that so desperately wants you to have freedom from your past and to walk into your future, into your potential that he desperately wants you to know. So Jacob, he knows that Esau is coming. Esau vows to kill him 20 years ago, and he's been running for 20 years, and he takes his wife and his servants and, and his children over to one side of the river, and he makes his way back to the other side. And we already can see that this Jacob is not the same Jacob that was there 20 years ago. He, he seems to actually care for something more than himself in this moment. And he's actually willing, instead of running, to take the situation head on. This is a changed man. This is a man who has gone through a life journey that has caused him to be a little bit transformed. And the Bible says that he lays down to go to sleep, probably expecting for Esau to come and kill him in the night. And he's, as he lays down, another man comes, and this man begins to wrestle with Jacob. And they wrestle all night long, it says. And as we'll find out, the man he's wrestling is with no man at all, but, but it's God in the flesh. Now, I want to say a couple things about the scripture before we dive into it. First of all, there, there's a lot of ambiguity. Ambu hmm, let's see if I can say it. Ambiguity. There we go around the scripture. We, we don't have any real, clear, solid, for sure we know exactly what the interpretation is. It, it's, it's got a lot of imagery and a lot of ideas around it that makes it have that sense of mystery. And, and I don't want to say that to discourage you, but to encourage you what it's actually trying to tell us. It's not trying to tell us simply about a tussle that took place at this one spot. It's trying to tell us about the state of Jacob's mind and his, Jacob's heart in that moment. Have you ever come across a situation where you know that you're about to have to pay for something that you've done? That you know that there is going to have to be a consequence for your action? How does that make you feel? That knot in your stomach. Maybe lightness in your head. 
that, that darkness that you kind of feel all around you. Maybe you feel confused. Maybe you feel uncertain. The, the language around this story is meant for us to feel what Jacob was feeling in this moment. He's been running for so long, and now he has to actually pay the piper. And regardless of the details of the interpretation and all the things that we know about it, uh, we can be sure of one very specific detail, that Jacob is no match for God. And we know this because they are wrestling all night, and then all God does is he touches his finger to his hip and then pop out. There, there's no great struggle in that moment that makes it seem as if God finally broke through, finally had his moment. It was as if he finally just chose to bring it to an end. But I love the fact that he still chose to wrestle with him all night long. That is such an encouragement to my heart that in the midst of the journey of my life, in every single bit of my doubt and my uncertainty, in every single bit of my confusion and in my struggle, I have a God in my life that wants to wrestle with me through every situation, that he's not trying to rush through it simply so he can show that he is powerful and able. He's trying to be with us in it to show that he is caring and he's loving and he's present and he wants you to discover it for yourself, that you are loved beyond compare and that he has a plan and a purpose for your life. That is so beautiful to know that he will wrestle with you. I think so often in our Christian walk, we think that the idea of asking questions and wrestling with God is somehow faux pas. Like we shouldn't be doing that. That we should have every assurance in our heart of every single detail. That we should have it all perfectly put together. But that is not the language that God uses in his word. He invites us to wrestle. He is not intimidated by your questions. He is not intimidated by your doubt. He is not intimidated by the uncertainty that you have in situations. All he wants you to do is just to come to him and then wrestle a little. Come in for a little bit of a tussle with that darkness and that confusion all around you. Jacob is no match for God, but yet God chooses to have a moment with Jacob. When God wrestles with you, when he comes down into the dust of your life and he engages with you in the most difficult of moments and invites you to let him wrestle with you, God is more interested in stepping down into the dust to initiate and participate in your transformation. He isn't wrestling with you to prove his strength. He wrestles with you for you to admit your weakness. God did not want to have a match with Jacob. He wanted to have a moment with him. We are no match for God. And how do I know this? Because he pops that hip out. There's this character in, uh, in Japanese manga. Big jump, right? <laughs> and he's called uh, One Punch Man. And, and the line that they use to kind of explain him, it says that life gets pretty boring when you can beat the snot out of any villain with just one punch. And it's kind of God in this moment. Could have just popped that hip right away. But yet he chose to wrestle. At any moment he can stop this charade. At any moment he can end this wrestling match. So why is he wrestling with Jacob. 
And this, it, it reveals to us a characteristic of God that we so often forget. And it's very simply that God is patient. And maybe that isn't as flowery and dramatic and wonderful as a God who is almighty and powerful and using those adjectives. But a God who is patient is a God who is present in your story. Some of you need to know that God is patient with you. He is not rushing you through the journey of your life, expecting you to figure it out right away. The only person trying to have you understand every bit of your spirituality, to have this soul assurance and have it all put together right away is you. Whereas God is a patient one who says, let's wrestle and let's go through this together. He chooses to wrestle with him. He chooses to come near to him, down into the very dust of the moment. He chooses to stay with him. He chooses all those things for Jacob, and he chooses those things for you and for me. He's not waiting for us to engage in our lives so they're perfectly set or when we have all the answers. Because Jesus said when he came, he didn't come for, for the healthy, he came for the sick. Because we all have different things in our life that need some healing and some restoration. And he came so that you might feel those things, might experience those things, might discover those things. And so we have Jacob. And, and I, I love when you read the Bible, the Bible is so much more than just a, a narrative meant to f just follow along and read the historical accuracy of it and, and read the imagery of it and just assume that they're painting a perfect picture. I love the fact that it seems as if Jacob is getting Jacob in Jacob. So Jacob, he, he, he's a deceiver. He, he's been grasping at the heel of his brother his entire life. He's, he was wrestling in the womb. And, and he chooses in this moment to wrestle with God. So the very thing that he is, that wrestler, he chooses to do. Jacob is Jacobing right by the river that's called Jabbok, which is of a very similar root. I think it's beautiful, the poetry of that, that Jacob is Jacobing at Jacob. But don't we also do that? The very things that make up who you and I are, th those moments where maybe you are more prone to enter into an argument. Maybe you are more prone to, to be a little bit strong-willed. Nobody in this room is strong-willed at all, of course. Uh, maybe you are more prone to, to lean into a certain thought process or, or ideology. And how often does that come to life in those situations where you feel like you're at your end? And so he does what he knows what to do. And God meets him right there. Have, have you ever wrestled someone? Maybe this is too intimate of a question. I'm going to still ask it. Have you ever wrestled someone? Have you ever seen someone wrestling? I, I, I don't know if there's a more intimate non-sexual act than wrestling. Like, limbs and crevices and intertwining and it's just like a funny thing to watch especially at like the highest level because there's no facial expression 
it's like deadpan, but they're so fully engaged, but their like leg is wrapped around their head, and there's blood pouring on one side, and the other guy's clinging to his leg, and if you were to like look at it from the distance and not really know what's going on, perhaps you would think something else is happening, but they're just wrestling. There's nothing, there's no other act or action that could have been taking place where God would have gotten closer to Jacob. He gets as close as he possibly can to him. And he says, I'm going to stay close. I'm going to stay close in your frustration. I'm going to stay close in your uncertainty. I'm going to stay close in in your struggle. This is a man who's been on the run for 20 years and probably never felt anyone has actually been close to him. And at the climactic moment of his life, perhaps the revelation that he needed more than anything in his story was that someone was willing to actually come close to him when he least deserved it. The thing that takes place is just as important as the message The act of wrestling was so intimate and so central to what Jacob had done his entire life, and God came right into that moment. So we serve a patient God. And he's waiting on you, and he's patient with you. And the only person rushing through your life is probably you. And and the truth is that wrestling reveals our weakness, and we need to know what our weakness is sometimes in order to actually invite God into our story. Uh, There's a reporter by the name of Katie Nolan, and she works for ESPN, and one of the things that they did this past year is they were looking at these tweets that went out around the time of missed field field goals that were dramatic in college sports. So college fans can be extremely savage. And so when a field goal was missed, everyone would, would buckle down and be tweeting up a storm about, oh, I could have hit that in my sleep. I'm 42 and I could do that, no problem. Or they would uh, have a situation where they were running a 40 and they'd be like, no problem. I I can run that in a faster time any day. So ESPN took them up on that. And so they reached out to anybody who had one of these tweets and they invited them. Why don't you actually come and try this on national television? And so a couple of them made the mistake of taking him up on the offer. And so they showed up, and Katie Nolan's like, hey, do you know why you're here? Like, oh, I kind of tweeted something previously, and I, we would love for you to do it. And they were kind of like, huh? No, we, we would love to see if you can kick that 40-yard field goal. We won't even include the fans that are yelling at you the entire way. And so they line them up on the field, and these 42, 43-year-old men that obviously have just been watching sports and not playing them of late, have, uh, they line it up and they're really confident in that moment. They're so sure of themselves. They've seen the technique. They've watched the games. They've played Madden. <laughs> and they've done it all. And they line it up and they kick and it's just like a complete off to the right, barely makes it three feet off the ground, and it was one after another after another. Sometimes I think in our lives we are so confident about the things that we are actually not capable of. We know the words. We know the right things to do. We think that we have it all put together in our life to make it work so perfectly, and sometimes we need to wrestle with God to actually understand that we need him in our story. Wrestling reveals our weakness because if you don't know that you have a weakness then you're not going to go to a God to actually fulfill you we have to have that in our story 
We don't come to Jesus in our strength, and we don't come to him with all of our status. We don't come to Jesus full of ourselves. We must be emptied and depleted of everything that you think that you are. You come to him broken, and you say, Lord, if you can use anything, use me. I'm broken before you. And many of us, we want to be used by God, but listen to me, it's only when we come to him with our brokenness do we actually let him use us. Otherwise, we are simply using God. We're saying our strength is enough. God, you can come onto my journey, and we'll make it happen together. It sounds kind of nice, but that is not the intent of God for your life because his plans for you are beyond your understanding. His purposes for your life are beyond what you can do and what you can see in this current moment. He wants you to actually move beyond what you're capable of in this moment. So we have to come with our brokenness. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it says, But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the strong, to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. God chose the things that are not to nullify the things that are. I believe God is just looking for someone who sometimes is just foolish enough to believe that, God, if, if you can use someone, use me. God's just looking for someone to admit that there's a weakness in my life, and maybe if I bring it to God, he can actually do something with it. And some of us are trying to operate in our own strength, but we need the Holy Spirit. We need him in our life to actually move forward. But it takes a moment of breaking to allow him in. And so that's easy to say, and I understand that. And so you might be saying, Jason, how do I know when I'm broken before God? Before God? How do I know when I'm broken before God? You know you're broken before God when you become like Jacob and you stop fighting. And now all you're doing is you're clinging to him. So Jacob's been wrestling all night, trying to get his way, trying to get the blessing of God in the way that he thought it was going to happen. And then finally has the hip popped up. And I want you to picture this with me. He's wrestling with someone, and suddenly he has no more strength in his leg, and so he leans into him. And suddenly, he's clinging to God in that moment, unable to stand on his own, no longer struggling, no longer fighting for something that he thought was the way to do it. And he's clinging, and now all he knows, all, the only thing he knows in this moment is I cannot let go because I'm broken. And the only thing I can do is cling to him. And the man says to him, let me go. And J Jacob says, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. And it's as if for the first time in Jacob's life that he realizes that he's been leading from his sense of strength, of kicking, of grasping, of wrestling. And now that that strength is gone, he needs to start clinging and holding tight and realizing that God was in his story. He's got no more fight in him. I can't take another step. I'm broken. I'm desperate for you, so I'm here to cling to you, and I'm not letting go. I think the idea of brokenness is something that makes us uncomfortable because in, a, in a, our society and in the world that we live, we're told that we're supposed to present the most prominent, the most optimistic, the most perfect versions of ourselves for others to see. But then God says, come, with, come to me with your weakness. 
come to me with your brokenness because I don't need to see the perfect, the perfect part of you. I want to see the real part of you. God can't bless who you pretend to be. You need to be who you are right now. And that is enough. He wants to come to you, not who you are pretending to be. There is no shame in your brokenness when it comes to God. It's not about where your brokenness is simply today. It's not about where your brokenness leads because brokenness always, when it's in the hands of God, leads to blessing. And this is where Jacob is. And you know what's kind of crazy about this whole story with Jacob? That this might be the first time. This might be the first honest thing that Jacob has said in his entire life. His whole life has been posturing and positioning himself to get a blessing. That if I do this many things, I'll get the, the woman that I want. That if I trick my father with hairy arms, I'm going to get the blessing that I deserve. That if I actually put together this beautiful soup, then I'm going to actually make my brother to give me the birthright that I so desperately desire. He's been posturing and positioning his entire life. And now finally, he understands that the most honest thing that he can do if he wants a blessing from God is ask. And it seems too simple. But the only thing that happens in this moment where he receives a blessing is he simply says, I will not let go until you bless me. And he asks for a blessing and the response he receives is, what is your name? And we're back to that idea of a name. And his name is more than a group of letters that are put together. It's one that carries great meaning in his life. One of deceiver, one of trickster, one of supplanter. And in this tradition, to say your name is almost like confessing your identity and your reality and how you've lived your life. It's as if when he asks, what is your name, he's saying, who are you? Because God doesn't want to bless who Jacob's been pretending to be. He wants to bless who he is. And so he's not asking for the perfect version of Jacob. He's saying the, de de the deceiver that you've been, I bless you in that. The supplanter that you've been, I will choose to bless you. The wrestler that you've been, the person that's hurt people along the way, none of those things are qualifications for me to bless your life. I just want you to bring it all to me. God simply needs you to admit who you are before you can develop, before he can develop you into who you are called to be. God simply needs you to admit who you are before he can develop you into who you are called to be. So who are you? What's your name and what does it mean to you? Until we admit who we are, he can't develop us into who we're supposed to be. God, I just, I don't want just a great calling on my life. One of the, the worst things that could happen in our life is that you receive a calling and your character isn't there and isn't ready to catch up to it. I don't want just a great calling on my life. I want to be a man of character. 
God, give me conviction. God, make me a person worthy of that calling, someone who's willing to stand with others, someone who's willing to live a life that isn't focused purely upon myself. God, give me the character. But in order for character to be developed, it has to go through some stuff. Character has to walk through pain. Character has to go through pressure. Character has to wrestle with God. God is asking Jacob what is his name because he isn't interested in blessing who Jacob has pretended to be. He's interested in blessing who he is. And that does not scare God off in that moment. He does not push him away. He holds him tight and he says, I'm going to give you a new name. Everything about your life is based on who you believe that you are. And we don't often ask ourselves that question. Who do you believe that you are? Do you actually hold yourself in a regard that believes that you are worthy of pursuing the purposes of God on your life? Are you punishing yourself from past mistakes? Are you carrying shame from previous situations? Who do you believe that you are? God is saying, who are you? Just just admit it. Just confess it. Just say it out loud. And this is a powerful moment because Jacob is confessing his unsteady foundation, his deceiving foundation. And God is building a new one. And he says, now, now I give you the name Israel. And the name Israel, it doesn't mean deceiver anymore. It means uh, the princely one. And, and even more interestingly, it, it means the one that he retains God. He's gone from the person who Jacob, who's been deceiving others and doing all the things that would seemingly push God away to the name that would make me believe that God could live in Jacob. So he gives him a name that says that God can live and exist and be with you at all times. He who retains God. And when you have that new standard and that new assurance, how would that transform your life? A new standard for your life is going to come from a new identity. And when we have that new identity, that you're no longer simply what you think you are, but you are who God says that you are, that you are a son and daughter of the Most High King, that you are a co-heir with Christ before the throne of God, that you are beyond anything that you can currently see for your life, that you are loved beyond compare and forgiven before you even knew it. What would happen to our lives if we had that identity? If we walked into our workplaces and we knew that I was called to be a son of God. That when I walked into my, my home and it's been a tough day and I want to just unwind and I want to push it on to people and I want to vent, that instead I have an understanding that I'm a co-heir with Christ and so I have an assurance of his blessing upon my life irregardless of the situation of the day. The greatest blessing that God gives him in this situation is not money, it's not wealth, it's not a new relationship, it's not land in the situation, it's very simply a new name, it is an identity in Christ. And that is the greatest blessing that he can give to you today. That the name that you're carrying that has been weighing you down is no longer the name that you need to hold for yourself. 
And perhaps it's the name simply that you are loved. That he, just like he named Jacob Israel, he names you Israel. That you are his chosen people. That you can hold him within you. That you can walk with him and you can wrestle with him all that you want. Because he isn't going anywhere. God is in the business of changing names. He changes Abram to Abraham, changes Jacob to Israel. He changes uh, one of the greatest Christian killers to one of the most amazing evangelists and missionaries the world has ever seen in Paul. He took a fisherman and, and Simon and he turned them into Peter, a rock, a strength. There's name changes that need to happen this morning. See, what God does over and over again is he speaks to the end of who you are. And he says, you're not imprisoned by your past. You're not defined by your present. But I'm going to speak to the potential of who you could be right now. And God sees each and every one of us as somebody who's born on purpose for a purpose. And he speaks to the potential of who you could be right now. When we get to the end of the story, and Jacob, he's wrestled with God all night, and he's given a new game in the uh, name of Israel. Sometimes I wonder if we've gone through the journey of faith, and we've come to know who Jesus is. And we feel like we, at some point in our journey, we've been given a new name. And then when we reflect upon the person that we were or the mistakes that we've made, we carry so much shame about that. God wants to change your life. He wants to transform it. He wants you to experience so much freedom. But God never stops being the God of who you were. God changes Jacob's name to Israel. But in Exodus 3, when he tells his people who he is, he says, I'm the God of Abraham, I'm the God of Isaac, and I'm the God of Jacob. He never stopped being the God of the person who is a lying, cheating scoundrel. And I think we can carry so much weight that even when we make that decision to follow Jesus and we make that decision to pursue him in our lives, we feel as if, can't match up to that. I missed my chance. God's already moved on to be the God of Israel. No, no, no. He's always the God of Jacob. He is always your God. And he sees you, and he loves you, and he wants you to experience this immense freedom and a new identity that he gives to you. But when you do make mistakes and when you do fall short, because it always happens and we always do it, he never turns his face away and he never fights against you. He never pushes you away. He just says, come closer. I'm going to come right into your dust 
and we're going to wrestle, and then I'm going to hold you closer again, and I'm going to give you a new identity, and that name is the name that I give you, not what society gives you, not what your mistakes give you, not what your shame gives you. It's the name that I give you. Everything in our lives will change when we admit, I'm just Jacob. And we hear God say, and I will be, always be the God of Jacob. So this morning, I want to give you the opportunity that if you are struggling to sense any sense of freedom in your relationship with Jesus, Perhaps you've made a decision before, but every time you seem to take a step forward, it feels like you're taking two steps back and you're carrying so much shame and so much, pun you're punishing yourself through the whole situation. I want to give you the opportunity just to understand this morning that you, he is still the God of Jacob. He is so patiently waiting to walk with you through every moment. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you choose to come close to us. That you choose to be with us. That you choose to wrestle through every bit of our lives in which we feel are so far from you, and yet you come into the very dust of it. So for every person here this morning that might not know you, I pray that they would experience this revelation of your love more than anything and that there is an identity given to them that could only come from you. And for those of us this morning who feel as if we've kind of missed our chance, we, we've heard this good story before and we've made this decision to follow Jesus and yet we seem seemingly can't match up over and over again and we seem to be going more backwards than forwards. Remind us this morning that you remain the same God that saved us the first time and you continue to save us this time. That you are forever our Savior. Thank you that you come into the very midst of our lives, not just simply to be there, but to transform us and to lead us into the new beginnings every day. May we discover your purpose for our lives in every situation. May we seek to know you and to love you and to be a representation of you in every space that we go into. May your love overflow into our er every situation, into our very lives. We want to know you. We want to be like you. We want to look like you. What would happen if we started to live those lives out of that demonstration of love? Challenge us, shape us, stretch us. Let every moment with you never leave us the same. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the City Collective Podcast. We hope you enjoyed that message. Please subscribe to stay up to date with every weekly message. For more information on City Collective, please visit www.citycollective.com. Or if you're in the greater Vancouver area, come visit us for a Sunday. You can find more about our church and how you can get involved with what God is doing in the Lower Mainland. Have a great day.